Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I want to read from verses 10 to 15, and then we'll look at a couple of verses, 14 and 15 this morning. Very helpful verses if we, just like the whole book, it's very helpful if we will embrace it and apply it and live in its light. This is in chapter 8, in verse 10. This is God's Word. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This, is also, this also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him or her under the sun. Thus far God's word, let's pray. Lord, recalibrate our hearts to your truth. Cleanse us from our sin. Fill us with your spirit. Grow your children in grace. Grant repentance and faith to those who do not know you. Change every one of us as a result of being here today. Help me to preach your word, Lord, in truth. Help us to hear it as your word and your truth. May your spirit bless the preaching of the word and apply it to our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we look to you and ask for your blessing and trust you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it, note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Don't worry. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no style. Ain't got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry. Be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown. And that will bring everybody down. So don't worry. Be happy. Life is now fixed. You may go home in peace. <laughs> that is, of course, Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby Farron. Life is falling apart. But don't worry about it. Just be happy. Just ignore your problems. It's silly, isn't it? Catchy, a little tune, but it's silly way to approach things. But it points us to a real need. We have a need to rise above our circumstances, don't we? We have a need to have a perspective that is not just locked in to what's happening in our lives. We have a need to have our focus go above the sun so that we might live under the sun with peace and purpose. And yes, even joy. Even joy. See, Solomon is faithful. And again this morning as we read Ecclesiastes, what he's trying to do is take our rose-colored glasses off of our face, throw them on the ground, and stomp them to pieces so we never put them on again. But he's not trying to make us miserable. 
In fact, he is trying to make us happy. He is trying to make us joyful. But he knows that if, if, our, if our heart is not fixed above the sun, if our heart is not fixed on God and His truth and who He is, if that is not interpreting the world that we live in and the life that we live, then happiness will be a futile pursuit. Sometimes we'll think we have it and it'll just slip through our fingers. Can we have lasting joy? Do we want lasting joy? We all do, right? Unless there's something really ticked in us. We want lasting joy, but most of the time we're looking for it in the wrong place. Solomon points us in the right direction. God points us in the right direction. As we look in His Word from verses 14 and 15 this morning. Titled this, I Recommend Joy. It comes sort of right out of the text in verse 15 where I commend or recommend joy, Solomon says. Just three quick things to bring out of this. Um, The main point, pursue joy by understanding where you live, by seeing God is sovereign over your days, and by being satisfied with small things. First, pursue joy by understanding where you live. Verse 14, look back at it. There is a vanity. Remember, we talked about vanity. Vanity is is crucial to understand when you're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Because some will say it means futile. Some will say it means meaningless. And it doesn't mean any of that. (laughs) Hevel is a vapor, like a breath. It's not weighty. It's temporary. It's here and it's gone. It can't sustain your joy. There are things that happen here certainly that confuse us. But under the sun, everything is temporary, misty, vapor. It is not meant to sustain our joy. It's meant to make us look above the sun to God, to fear Him, to know that judgment is coming, to fear Him and to live for His glory. So Solomon says, there is a vanity that takes place on the earth. And yes, this, if you want to say enigma, is hard to understand. That's all true. But praise God, this is temporary. It doesn't always happen this way, right? But it does happen this way in this world in which we live. There's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is vanity. So he's going to help us interpret where we live so that we, verse 15, can seek joy. First, before we look more closely at this verse, let's just think about joy for a minute because that's where we're going. So we'll start there and end there. Solomon, Solomon and God want you to be joyful. You believe that? See, we have this twisted thinking about God that thinks God's out to spoil our fun. He's out to ruin our good time. He's out to, you know, crimp our style or or whatever. But over and over and over in the Bible, God is promoting our joy. John even said in 1 John, this is why we're writing these things. For our joy and your joy that everybody might be joyful. But we have to know where to find it. God wants you to be joyful. Now, secondly, He's provided everything you need to be joyful every day you live here. We don't believe that, do we? We don't live like we believe that. But that, see, that's just where Solomon is taking hold of our rose-colored glasses. He wants to smash them. He wants to take our face and just stick it on God's so that we focus on Him, so that we trust and love and believe Him and interpret all things the way He interprets them so that we can have this joy. But God wants you to be joyful. Even Peter says we have everything necessary for life and godliness through His promises. And certainly a vital component of godliness is joy. You believe that? One of the things Israel was criticized for was not obeying with joy. Just in rote when they did, right? What it, the call to worship this morning was God was calling us to break forth into not just songs. Did you catch it? But in joyful songs. Because of His grace. 
We have everything necessary for life and godliness. Did you know, in fact, sometimes we have this misunderstanding in our culture that, that since love is a feeling, God can't command us to love. We just got to be, it's got to happen. We got to feel it. We got to somehow fall into it. And, and sometimes we confuse joy with a feeling. So God can't command us to, did you know God commands you to be joyful? He doesn't just suggest it. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice just in general always. Just figure out what you're happy about and rejoice about it all the time. Rejoice in the Lord. See, that's where Solomon's pushing us. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice when you feel good. Rejoice in the Lord always. And even making it more simple in the letter to the Thessalonians in 5.16, it just says rejoice always in some of the concluding remarks, right? Pray without ceasing and all that follows up. But look what it says, rejoice always. So if God is telling us to rejoice, if He's telling His people to rejoice always, He's telling us also He's provided everything we need to rejoice always if, if we'll make use of His means of grace. And listen, those commands in both of those verses are present active imperatives or present active commands. Be constantly rejoicing. And he repeats it for emphasis. When God repeats something in one verse that short, he's making emphasis in Philippians 4.4. 4, Rejoice in the Lord. And he just said it in 3.1. Right? If you go read the epistle. He just said it in 3.1 and now in 4.4 4, he says it twice. Why? Sometimes a lot of us are knuckleheaded. It takes some knocking to get through, right? But when God repeats stuff, He's, he's emphasizing it. So let me ask you, what is joy? And how do we get it? What is joy? I found a great... Uh, Matthew Henry, uh, Sam recommended his commentary on the whole Bible in uh, the 915 class today. And this is... And you've heard a bunch of different... And I'll give you a few different definitions today. But this is what he said. And, and grasp this. And uh, he said it this way. Joy is... And I inserted that because it was part of a big paragraph. And I didn't want to give you the whole paragraph. But joy is a holy security... There we go. Joy is a holy security and serenity of mind. Joy is a secure, serene mind. Arising from a confidence in God. Here, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is a holy security and serenity of mind arising from a confidence in God and His power, providence, and promise. That's awesome. That points us right to God, right to His Word, where we learn about Him, His power, His providence or rule, His government, and His promises. And it's through His promises, Peter says, that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. But that's what we, we want that security of mind, don't we, and that serenity of mind. We want not to worry. And in order not to worry, we have to have a Something to put on, to put off. We have to know our God and what He's promised us. Matthew 6, if, if you tend towards worry, Matthew 6 is one of the great places to go. Let Jesus help you with that. I relate to that. How can we have this holy security and serenity of mind? Well, Matthew Henry has told us by focusing on God and His power, providence, and promise. And in our text today, as he is commending joy to us in the first part of 15, we'll come back to that later. The first thing we see in verse 14 is him shaking us about know where you live. You don't live in heaven. You don't live in the new heavens, the new earth. You don't live where everything goes right and righteously. And God's going, yes, that's right, not yet. And God's not going to change that for you now. Find joy, first point, by understanding where you live. Find this joy, find this confidence and this security, this serenity of mind by focusing on God, by believing God, and by applying His Word to your life, therefore believing what He's telling you about. You live in a fallen world. Now look back at verse 14, where righteous people 
don't do well and wicked people sometimes do well. Praise God, it's not always that way. Because so, if, if you read a lot of the wisdom literature and notice this, like Proverbs, for instance, that's not a promise for every particular situation when you read Proverbs. That's in general how things work out under God and His rule. So in general, generally speaking, the righteous are blessed and the wicked are punished. But in this world, there's also a lot of times where that gets flipped on its head. I mean, you haven't been paying attention if you haven't seen that. Where the wicked are treated like heroes and the righteous are treated like villains. It's getting worse. And it will get worse without uh, repentance and revival. But he says, I've seen this vanity. I've seen this symptom of life in a fallen world. He's saying, listen to me, people. This takes place. Let it pop your bubble. Let it pop your fantasy that you live in heaven and that things should always go well. That's not where you live. You live in a place where injustice is characteristic. He doesn't want us to be uh, just lazy when it comes to injustice, but he wants us to realize that in this fallen world, it will never be completely taken away. If you wait until all injustice is removed to be happy, you will not be happy until the new heavens and the new earth. You will not have joy. This world is a world where you can live right and have life go completely sideways. I don't understand. I'm reading my Bible. I, I'm giving it church. I'm going to church. I'm doing everything right. And look at what happened to my life. Well, where did you get the idea that that wasn't supposed to happen to your life? See, Jesus never put rose-colored glasses on us. He didn't say, trust me and everything's going to go well. What did he say? And I keep hammering this into my head and yours. In this world, you will have a constant vacation. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But in general, just because it's a fallen world, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Expect that. Dog, y'all don't want to do that, do you? You're going to get up in the morning thinking, God, make everything go right. Please make everything go right. Don't pray that. Solomon says, there's a great many times when it's exactly flipped upside down. And he's, see, don't forget this. He's teaching us how to enjoy life in a fallen world. He's teaching us how not to have our circumstances drive us, but serve us. Because he'll point us to God who promises that for those who are called, he makes all things work together for good. And his basic good he wants in your life is not comfort, it's conformity. Conformity to the image of Christ. God's not about you always being comfortable. I'm doing my anti-Osteen this morning. Which hopefully I do all the time. God doesn't want you always comfortable. He's not about you always being healthy and happy and, and prosperous. He's never promised you that. Now, it will be that way in the new heavens and the new earth. And some people take those passages and rich them back into time and say, see, it should always be that way now. And if it's not that way, you know what? It's not me. The preacher's fault. It's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. I mean, I, uh, I'm going to make myself mad. I, I just I can't stand it when people talk like that because they're lying to you. They want your money. If you'll just give them money, God will make everything go well for you. He'll save your children. I want to knock every one of their teeth out when they talk like that. I want to go all Nehemiah and start pulling beards out. Because they're lying. I'm sorry. I can't, that stuff eats me alive. But Solomon is teaching us how to enjoy life even when, as we see things, it's going sideways. Now, we don't want it to be that way. And someday it won't be that way. But Jesus could sleep in the boat with the storm raging. And when his disciples said, don't you care that we're dying? He's like, where's your faith? I'm with you. Watch this. Freaked them out. 
They didn't know who they were riding with. And I'm telling you, to a large extent, you don't know who you're riding with. That's why you're miserable and you should be happy. Same thing to me. None of us are glorified yet. We don't have all of the theology we need in our heads yet. But the more I know my God, the more bold I'll be for Him and the more peace I'll have in Him. The more I'll be walking in His joy. See, many times in this world, the wicked live long and have easy lives. They make big bucks and they show their palaces off and all of these kind of things. And many times it seems like crime does pay in this world because you know why? If temporal money and stuff is what you're after, sometimes crime does pay in this world. Sometimes cheating does pay if, it means it, if you think it means it gets you more stuff. It's appointed to die once. And then comes the judgment. And we better keep that in mind. Many times the righteous live short lives and difficult lives under the sun. Please read biographies and autobiographies of some of the most famous Christians you've ever heard of. You'll be shocked at how much they suffer. Spurgeon and his gout and on and on we could go. Sometimes it seems like righteousness is a waste of time, doesn't it? The psalmist thought that until he got a better perspective of life. See, we need our expectations calibrated. We need to know where we live. We need to know this is a fallen world where sin sometimes seems to win. Sin seems to be winning in our culture, doesn't it? I remember an old song by Steve Camp called Living in Laodicea where fools parade to justify their sin, and on and on it, on it went. A lot of sin is being promoted these days, even legislated. No one changed the fact that it's sin. It will help you understand what Christ meant when he said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If you're going to lovingly, lovingly, not harshly, but lovingly, firmly sometimes, but lovingly speak his truth. See, we need to know where we live, and this is just a quick shot at it. But Solomon is saying, don't think things are always going to go right here. Because this is a place where things don't always go right. And so, that being the case, your best shot is just be miserable till Jesus comes. I'm not saying that. Look at this. We need to know that there's a purpose. So I'm going to skip down to the bottom right now. And I'm going to show you to pursue joy by seeing God as sovereign over your days. Look at this at the end of verse 15. I'm going to come back to joy in the middle, but I'm sandwiching it. So things often go sideways in this world, even for the righteous. How do I deal with that? Well, one, you need to know there's a purpose in it. So look at the bottom of this verse. It says, talking about joy going with us. Through the days, now watch, through the days of his life that what? That just happened by chance. Through the days of his life that God has given him or her under the sun. Pursue joy by seeing God as sovereign over your days. Our lives under the sun are a gift of God. You are here because God put you here. Jeremiah knit together in my mother's womb. Psalm. We are intentional. Not, it's not by chance, but by God's creation that the world is here. And it's by God's creation and action that you are here. You are here on purpose. And your days are a gift from Him. See, we're not a cosmic accident. We are created by the true and living God. And we know that deep down inside. Sometimes we fight against that because we love sin. But Romans says everybody knows God, knows that there's a God. You're you're here on purpose and your days are a gift, all of them both the number and the character of them. See, we need to know that somebody's in control and somebody has a purpose. 
so that when even things are going sideways, we're going we're to lean and trust and rest outside of ourselves onto that one who has made certain promises to us and who is in control and promises to make it work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not everything is good. Not everything is fun. Some things are very painful, but there's somebody above us that we can trust. Psalm 139.16, look at this verse. I'm pounding this into my head and yours. Some of you don't believe it. The psalmist says this, speaking to God about His being created. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your, now watch this. In your book, every one of them. Does that leave out any of them? In your book, every one of them, what? The days that were formed for me. Notice formed. Think of a potter for, like forming a, a, a pot or something. The days that were formed for me or ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. God wrote down every one of your days in His book before you were in existence. And it's not just a general thing that they'll live from this day to this day and I don't know, whatever happens, happens. He's formed our days. He's sovereign over our days. Read, read Acts 17. I don't have time to go there. He, he decided exactly when we would be born, exactly where we would live. That we might seek Him. In your book, See, listen, this is the only way I know how to have peace in this chaotic world. If you're just going to leave it to chance, if it's just going to be up to you to figure out the best way to go through, you can't have peace. But if there's a sovereign God who has sacrificed His Son and raised Him from the grave and promised us eternal life as a free gift, how, how will He give us that and withhold anything else that is good for us? And He's told us that that even happened according to His purpose and plan. And Acts tells us that. And He's telling us now that every one of my days were written down. See, this is what I think it was Stonewall Jackson said made him as bold in battle as he was in bed. Because he knew every one of his days were marked out before there was one. He wasn't being foolish. He was just being faithful. God calls you to go to the battlefield. You go. Nobody has died early this year. I know that's painful for some of us because we've, some of us have lost people. But would you rather just think it was by chance? Or maybe we give thanks for all the days we had with Him and trust it's hard stuff, but this is the only platform for peace, knowing that God is sovereign over your days, over you and your days, all of them. Listen, you have, you have exactly the life you need to have to be all that God intends you to be. Exactly. Yes, you married the right husband. You know how I know God is sovereign. He's a knucklehead. Yeah, maybe. And I'm not saying there's never time for divorce. There's time for church discipline, too, if the guy's not being what he's supposed to be, or the girl. But if you're married, yes, you married the right one. God's in control. Honor Him in it. Let Him lead you through it. You have exactly the life that you need to be all that God intends you to be. Every day you have is a designed day. If you really will grasp that. I tell you what, as one who, who, who struggles with worry, and you worry about other people, and you worry about their teenagers when they start driving. I do, too. Um, <laughs> but you can grasp onto that. I mean, you've, hopefully you've taught them and trained them and trained them to be responsible, but you can grasp a hold of that when they're out on the streets. Every one of their days was written down before there was one. And He will sanctify you even in that process. So we pursue joy. And I know I'm having to move quick with these. We pursue joy by knowing where we live. We pursue joy by seeing God as sovereign over our days. And then lastly, we pursue joy by being satisfied with small things. Yeah, that's a gut punch, isn't it? Sometimes. Look at verse 15a. Solomon is saying, a lot of times things just go nuts in this world, so I tell you to be joyful. Well, he's got some rationale here, but 
But he, he, he says, I commend joy. So, these are connected. That's why I'm connecting these verses. So, or therefore, I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. The simple life is the best life. The simple life has a lot to be said for it. But one of the things that's being said here, look at this. Nothing better. Nothing better than to be rich and have all this wealth and all this stuff and all. Is that what he said, even though he'd experienced that? Solomon said there's nothing better than to have what you need, have your basic needs met, really represented by here by, um, by eating and drinking. There's nothing better than having your basic needs met and being satisfied. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And He's saying if you'll find your way into being satisfied with little, then you're, you're set to be satisfied with whatever else comes. Nothing better than to eat, drink, and be joyful. And he said that a lot of this over and over in other places. God, it's a gift of God to, you know, to eat, drink, and enjoy your work. It's a, and we're going to see more of that. But right here he's saying nothing better than to eat, drink, and be joyful. In other words, be content and joyful with what God has provided for you. If you're not happy now, you won't be happy then. Because it's like sand sifting through your fingers when you try to... Grab it outside of God. Nothing better than having food and drink and contentment. How spoiled are we in America? Can you imagine if we only had something to eat and drink today? Imagine if we really did experience, give us this day our daily bread. Would you be walking around thinking, God loves me? You should. We'd be thinking, God hates me. What the heck's wrong? Solomon's saying, no, simplify your joy. If you can be happy there, you can be happy, joyful, satisfied anyway. Listen, I know y'all are hearing me use happiness and joy synonymously. The scripture does that. It's not true that happiness is some earthly thing that's circumstance-driven and joy is this higher thing. We need to rightly understand those things, you know, so that we can be joyful when we're sad, crying. Anyway, it's, that's another topic, but you can't substantiate from Bible that happiness is something lower and joy is something. Just beware of that. We'll talk more about that later. But there's nothing better than this. If we can try, find true joy in the midst of a simple life, we can find it in the big things and in the hard things. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6, 8. Watch this. Examine your own heart as I've had to do mine as I read things like this because we're so spoiled. Paul says if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. What does he mean? You don't need anything else. The rest is gratis. In other words, he said, I found, I'm pointing you to find contentment in very basic provision so that you can always be rejoicing. Remember, he commands that. Because most of the time we're waiting for something else. To, if I just had, mm -hmm. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Speaking to the Philippians and they're renewing their support of him and all of that situation. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Notice he's able to be satisfied with very little. He said, I have learned. Notice he had to learn this. Don't feel too bad if God's sanctifying you and you're on the way. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Stop. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Why? To live as Christ. To die as gain. He's got me. He sacrificed his son for me. I have what I need today. I might not have everything I want, but I have exactly what I need to be what he wants me to be. He said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. One of the worst treated verses in the Bible snatched out of context. I can be anything through him. No, stop, shut up. Read in context. 
You can't claim that and say you're going to be the center for the Los Angeles Lakers through Christ who strength. No, because if you're not 7'4 and very talented, you're not going to be that. I've, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Have we learned the secret of facing abund- uh, need and hunger and having very little? Are we content having a meal in front of us? Just focus right there. Am I content? I don't need anything else. Having Jesus, this is enough. And, and we're not. But we need to live that way. Contentment. Why do you keep talking about contentment? He's talking about joy. You know good and well. You have no joy if you're not content. Right? You ever seen a discontent, joyful person? Like a jumbo shrimp? Martin Luther said this, and there, it was a longer quote. It's a good quote, but it's basically saying the same thing I'm quoting now. I'm going to give you a little bit of it. It says, the important thing is that we have a tranquil and quiet heart and a mind filled with joy. Now he's going to tell us what he means. That is that we be content with the word and work of God. Man, are we content with the word and works of God? Are we content to have Jesus and his word and have God be sovereign over our lives? Are we able to look at our lives right now and say, I have far more than I deserve. I have far more than I need. I'm content. John MacArthur says this, Joy is the result of a deep-seated contentment in God and His grace. You see why I'm harping on contentment? Some of us are not content. Some of us think we deserve more. Some of us think we know better than God about what we should be and have. But Solomon is ripping those rose-colored glasses off. He's showing us we live in a broken world, but that we can have joy in God if we trust Him and be contented in the small things. MacArthur says it, it's a result of deep-seated contentment in God and His grace. Let me ask you a question. Are you resting in His grace this morning? Are you trying to do your best and God do the rest? Are you trying to live in such a way so that God will love you? Do you think you can be good enough to be accepted by Him? Well, mom and dad is a Christian, so I'm a Christian. No. Well, my wife is a Christian, so that'll cut. No. My hu- mm. Are you resting in God's grace? Have you come to the point where you've seen that you are a sinner and that you are lost and that you need a Savior? And by God's grace, He's shown you that that Savior is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for us according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day. He's reigning. He's coming again. Have you come to the point where you distrusted yourself and trusted in Jesus, where you turned from running from God and rebelling against Him to receiving Him and receiving His Son as your Savior? Are you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone for your salvation? God so loved the world that He told us to do our best and He'd do the rest. No. God so loved the world that He... This is in this manner, really. This is how God loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son to live, die, be raised for us that we might not perish but have eternal life in Him, through faith in Him, that we might believe in Him, trust in Him, rest in Him. Are you resting in Jesus? See, this is the path of joy. Let me give you the path of joy. The path of joy is God, looking to God, believing what He says, right? What happened to Isaiah when he got a revelation of God? He said, I'm a big shot. Woe is me. For I'm undone. So true knowledge of God. We don't know ourselves without knowing God. True knowledge of God brings humility. Humility that if I haven't received Christ as my Savior, I do so. I trust in Jesus. And if I have, see, that's why I'm telling us to keep our focus on God because it'll keep us humble. And the path to joy is knowledge of God, which results in humility, which flows out into faith and breeds contentment which then flowers into joy. 
we want to stop, we want to short circuit it and run to the end and have it. But John MacArthur's right. It is a deep-seated contentment in God and His grace. Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you resting in Him? I'm going to give you a few foundational truths for joy in, and I'm going to stop. Application. You're not going to like all this. But it's true. Maybe you will like it. Maybe your heart's calibrated. But here are some foundational truths for joy. Number one, bad days are normal. Maybe I should write a book. Your worst life now. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. See, we think, when we think we shouldn't be having a bad day, we're forgetting where we live. We should be having a bad day. They teach us. They grow us. Solomon is telling us what life is really like here. There's injustice. There's trouble. The just are treated unjustly. The car falls apart. The job gets lost. All sorts of bad things happen. And they happen to God's people. As well as others. Bad days are normal. That's what Jesus said. In this world you'll have trouble. As long as you are trying to get rid of your bad days, you will forfeit joy. You might say things like this. This isn't the way it should be. I can't handle this. God shouldn't be doing this. This isn't the way it should be. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's exactly the way it should be. To get you to stop looking to yourself and trust in yourself and trust and look to God and have some joy rooted in Him. See, God's always showing us two things. How great and glorious and sufficient He is and how sinful and weak and needy we are. Stop doubting God. He's told you the truth. Start believing Him. Bad days are normal here. They won't be someday, but here they are. Number two, bad days are blessings. Lest you think I've fallen on my head, go read Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know God's at work through them to make us like Jesus, basically. How do we address our struggles? And I'm, listen, I'm talking to you who are believers who are trusting in Jesus. If not, my command and commitment and content and can't even talk, but to you is trust Jesus. God's command to you is trust His Son. But if we're trusting in Jesus, see, we still have all this bad thinking. Bad days are normal, and bad days are blessings. Romans 5, we rejoice in our troubles. James 1, what does James tell us how to respond to our troubles if we believe God is sovereign on the throne, forming all of our days, promises to use it all for good? Count it a little bit of joy. Is that what he said? Count it all joy. How... Southerner, have a hallelujah fit. Let people think you're crazy. Praise God, what a wonderful day. What happened? My car broke. But don't say it like, praise God, what a wonderful day. I'm just being silly. But bad days are blessings. Count them all joy. Romans 8, what is His promise to you? To make all things work together for good. He's telling us we groan before that, and it's hard. But He's with us and for us. Number three, good days are rare. Why do you think we call them mountaintop experiences? We want to live there, don't we? We want to live on vacation. We want to live on Easy Street. But you know what? You'd be spoiled brat if you lived on Easy Street. Parents, the kids are going to get mad at me. Don't give your kids everything they want. Sometimes they need to have it hard. Sometimes they need to suffer. They need to learn to be responsible. They need to learn to stand on their own two feet. You just delay that. You make, you make them and everybody around you when you're around other people miserable when you spoil your children. I know. I was a spoiled kid. I thought the world owed me everything. You know what? It was a hard reality to come to truth with. Good days are rare. These are the days that shouldn't happen. Catch me. 
These are the ones, that, it shouldn't be this way. We don't deserve it to be this way. We don't deserve to have good days. None of us. We've all fallen short of His glory. Their grace, their mercy. So embrace them, celebrate them, thank Him for them, and let those color the rest of the days that are going to be hard. Remember, you don't deserve a good day. Again, my anti-Osteen. I don't... But it's true. See, it's true. But you have all things necessary for life and godliness. And God promises to make all things work for you in Christ. Number four, find joy. Focus on finding joy in simple things. Because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If you have food and drink, be content. I mean content. Joy is found in contentment, and contentment should be in even the simplest of things in life. Enjoy each day to the fullest as a gift of God, because it is. He shaped every one of them for you. And lastly, the same God who told us that life is hard has told us that He is near. And He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He'll make everything work together for good for us. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you're trusting in Christ, He's with you. He's for you. He's in you by His Spirit. And He's conforming you into the image of His Son. And that knowledge should help you walk through the darkness of this world without fear, yes, but, but of the fear of Him, but with joy. I'll tell you a story about me when I was a kid and I'm done. I, my best friend's house from my house was probably a hundred yards. And there were many a night when I was visiting with him. And when it was time to go home, it was dark. And I was a kid. And you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. And I'll guarantee you I set land speed records between those two houses. I can remember sailing over the bumps as I was running across the yard. Why? Because I was frightened. Because I was alone. And it was dark. And it was scary. But if Daddy was with me, if he had been visiting too, or Mom, but especially Daddy, I thought he was the biggest, toughest man in the world. He was pretty big. But if he was with me, I could walk slowly and enjoy it. Why? Did the circumstances change? No. But there was somebody with me who I knew would look out for me so I could walk with peace. Walk with peace. Walk with joy. Because there's somebody with you. And he's far greater than my daddy. He hung the stars. He sustains the universe by the word of His power. He called you to Himself and He sacrificed His Son to save us and granted us faith and repentance to come to Him. What good thing will He withhold from us? So whether things are small that He's provided or whether they're large, know that He's doing it exactly right to make you like Jesus and to shine His light in and through your life. Trust Him. Rest in Him. He's with us. He is faithful. And He will take us all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. So let's change the song a little bit. Don't worry. Trust and obey God. Be content in Him. And be joyful. He is with you. He is for you. He has his best in mind for you. The cross proves it.
You need nothing else to know that you're loved. Trust and rest in Jesus. And then, as, as Solomon says, and as Paul says in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Know where you live. Know whose you are. Rest in Him and have His joy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you. We have your word, your spirit, your son. We know your love because of your sacrifice. We know you have our best at heart and that you are making everything useful. Our trials are mercies in disguise. They are blessings in disguise. They are chisels in your hand, chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. So help us to trust you. Help us to be contented in you, in your grace. Help us to have the joy that you have purchased for us, Christ. Bless us to love and live for you and to grow every day in your grace. Help us to help one another along that path. And Lord, if there be anyone listening to me via the live stream, via the recording, sitting here in this room or these other rooms around me that doesn't know you, be they very young or very old or somewhere in between, we pray that you would take your gospel home to their hearts with power, that they might repent and trust in Jesus. May they receive eternal life, reconciliation with God as a free gift because it's been so costly to you. Help the rest of us to love you knowing that you loved us first and that you're with us in the valley of the shadow of death and everywhere else. We praise and thank you for giving us your word so that we might know that you have crafted every one of our days for your glory and our good. The pain and the pleasure, whatever's in your will. Lord, we love and trust you and thank you. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.